All right. Well, we are um, wrapping up our uh, series on Esther uh, with a Thanksgiving feast. The book of Esther ends with a Thanksgiving feast because what happened was the salvation of the Jewish people during this story. And, and as, as this story progresses, um, this tension builds. Tension builds all over Esther. In fact, I'm going to give you just a briefest summary of this book. It's quite a complex story. I'm going to give you the whole thing in about 12 seconds. You ready? Slide guys in the back ready? All right. King Artaxerxes was a narcissistic Persian emperor over a vast eastern empire. He had an advisor, the evil Haman, who captured slave girls and plotted to kill all the Jews. Esther, the emperor's Jewish queen, bravely confronted Haman and saved the Jewish people from genocide. That's the story. That's nine chapters of the Bible. If you weren't here over the previous uh, three weeks, we detailed a lot of the story and bits and pieces of it. But the thing we're going to focus on today is the feast at the end of the story. The Jewish people were saved by this amazing act of bravery from this, this girl queen, probably 15 years old. She was scheduled to die because she was a Jew, but she stepped up, confronted the king, confronted Haman, and saved her people. When her people were saved, an edict went out to all the Jews in all the land that they were to celebrate a Thanksgiving feast for two days. Esther 9.20. Mordecai, Esther's adoptive father, called on the Jews to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. He told them to celebrate with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other and gifts to the poor. This would commemorate a time when Jews were saved from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned to gladness and their mourning to joy. They called this feast the Feast of Purim because uh, the Hebrew word for dice is poor. And uh, P-U-R. And if you know the story, the die were rolled in order to pick the date for the Jews to be slaughtered. God redeemed that date and chose that to be the date of their salvation. So the whole feast is about God's providentially saving the Jews from destruction. Now that feast of Purim uh, is still going on today. In fact, Esther 9.28 says this. The festival of Purim would never cease to be celebrated among the Jews, nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. And so even today, particularly among the more rural Jewish communities, the Feast of Purim is kind of a big deal. They celebrate it with all kinds of food. They certainly have the dyes part of it. The celebration of meals and drink, exchange of gifts, donations to charities, public recitation of the scroll of Esther, reciting prayers after the meals. And then for some strange reason, they wear costumes. It's kind of like our, our Halloween. Nobody knows how that really came about, but, but they wear costumes and lots and lots and lots of drinking. Now, the reason why there's lots and lots and lots of drinking is because number one, it's a holiday and that's just what people do. Number two, the book of Esther, there are drunk people from cover to cover. Every single good and bad decision made in the book of Esther has massive amounts of alcohol. So while we would not suggest that as part of a holiday uh, festivity, it is in the Feast of uh, Purim. Now, the Feast of Purim has been celebrated now for 2,400 years, celebrating God's providential salvation of the Jewish people. We have our own version of that. It's Thanksgiving. It's not quite as dramatic as the Esther story, but here's this brand new colony in 1623, and uh, at the time, they had some decent relationships with, with the natives, and so they celebrated this harvest. And in, in 1623, Governor William Bradford of the Plymouth Colonies made this proclamation. You'll see here in a minute why it is uh, my favorite proclamation ever made uh, in this continent. You ready? Here we go. 
I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all you pilgrims gathered at the meeting house on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623, there to listen to your pastor and render thanksgiving to uh, Almighty God for all his blessings. And so this brand new colony, they had survived a couple of, uh, of years and they uh, had, had this great meal of Thanksgiving that included turkey and deer and vegetables. The, the proclamation just lays it all out. And the big theme coming out of that proclamation and out of that Thanksgiving dinner is simply this. We have enough and we're content. We have enough and we're content. About 150 years later, as the colonies became the United States of America, on November 26, 1789, President George Washington issued a proclamation for a nationwide day of thanksgiving. Here's a piece of that. I recommend a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially afforded them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. And as that proclamation goes on, again, that theme arises, we have enough and we're content. We have enough and we're content. Later, Abraham Lincoln made the proclamation in 1863 that Thanksgiving Day shall be the last Thursday of November. It was later revised a little bit by President Franklin Roosevelt, who said it would be the fourth Thursday of November, just to give a few extra shopping days uh, for Christmas. And that's really when the culture of Thanksgiving began to turn. From an extended period of gratitude that says we're thankful we have enough, to a starting gun for Christmas shopping, which basically says we're thankful but we want more. Now, you might uh, identify with this Black Friday meme. When people trample others for goods mere hours after being thankful for what they already have. That's what Thanksgiving has become, a, a, a starting gun for the Christmas shopping holiday. Now, I am not going to badmouth Christmas shopping. I am not going to badmouth Black Friday. We participate fully in Christmas shopping, and we participate fully in Black Friday. In fact, all the girls, you know, they wake up early on Friday and they head out the door and all the guys kind of make fun of the girls for their shopping enthusiasm, but we make sure they all have our lists, right? So that's kind of how <laughs> that works. So this is not, you know, kind of Grinch downing Christmas shopping. In fact, quite the opposite. Love Christmas, love gift giving, love receiving and giving. It's fantastic. In fact, uh, during this weekend, 175 million Americans will shop between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. Each family will spend about 350 bucks a piece this weekend only. The average discount is 45% during this weekend. And so the more you shop, the more you, what? Save, right? So just go out there and, and, and go after it. That's, uh, that's the message out there, right? Thanksgiving is the starting gun to the Christmas shopping season. But here's what I want to do right now. I don't want to get to that too soon. I just don't want to rush past the importance of gratitude, living a life thankful for what's truly important. Let's not breeze by Thanksgiving to get to the shopping. Let's take some time and let's settle on the importance of gratitude. Because a lack of gratitude, I believe, and science backs this up, I believe a lack of gratitude is one of the most destructive forces to the human condition. One of the most destructive forces to the human condition, discontent, robs people of peace and happiness more than anything else. Discontent robs us in fact, what discontent does is, is, is discontent highlights the negative and completely discounts the positive. And so somebody who's discontent, they could have all kinds of good things going on in life. 
I mean, they can have good relationships. They can have, you know, some, some things. They can have food and they can have shelter and they can have clothes. But they'll choose one little thing to gripe about and, and it'll completely um, uh, negate all the positive things around them. And that can spill out to discontent with our spouses, right? We can be uh, kind of grumbling about our spouses, resentment and snappy. We see the worst in each other. We can be discontent with our kids, be short with them and critical of our kids. We can be discontent with our jobs and, and we'll, we can be the grumpy and complainy people around the office. We can be discontent with our lifestyle so we can covet what other people have and be jealous. We can be discontent with our life situation which can result in sadness and bitterness. Discontent robs our soul. Now, listen, I get that sometimes life can be very, very difficult. And when life is difficult, it's hard to be content when you're really suffering. I totally get that. But there is something very sweet and very pure and very peace-giving about being grateful. Even if your life is a mess, finding things to be grateful for, it does so much good. In fact, studies indicate that, that there's incredible benefits to choosing a life of gratitude. Here are the benefits, and I'm sure you're going to want them. Ready? Greater happiness. Grateful people have greater happiness, more optimism, better relationships, better overall health, a longer life, greater productivity, fewer aches and pains, increased motivation, increased generosity, increased empathy, better sleep, and improved self-esteem. That sound good? It sounds really good. This is what happens when we choose a path of gratitude instead of discontent. So I'll give you just a couple of things to be, to be grateful for, and these are pretty simple, but we do need to, we do need to own this stuff that it's time for us to be people of increased gratitude. Number one, be grateful for God. Not just grateful to God, but be grateful for God. If you said a prayer on Thanksgiving, you likely were grateful to God for the things you have, which is just fine, nothing wrong with that. But let's also add to that gratitude for God. Let's be thankful for who he is. Psalm 100 is the most famous passage on gratitude probably in the Bible. It says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, his love endures forever, and his faithfulness continues through all generations. This passage not only tells us to be thankful to God, but be thankful for God, for who he is, in three specific ways. To be grateful that God is good. Grateful that God is good. That simply means that in him there is no evil, in him there is no darkness. He is pure good and pure light. 1 John 1, 5 says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus, the core message of Jesus, and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Most every other religion, every one that I could think of, uh, has the deity or deities be this, this mishmash of good and evil. That, that God or the gods must execute both good and evil. The Bible stands alone. In fact, particularly the New Testament stands alone in saying that God is nothing but light and goodness. He is good. And, and I know that's sometimes hard for us to reconcile because there are three things that we hold in tension. It's called the, the great trilemma. God is good, God is sovereign, and evil exists. Some say you can't hold all three of those at the same time. If God is good and in total control, evil can't exist. If God isn't good, then evil can, can exist. If God isn't in control, evil exists. But how can you have God being all-powerful, all-good, yet evil exists? And that's tough. It's a tough philosophical question. 
People even wrestle with that in their own lives. When things get very difficult in their lives, they sometimes wonder, how could God have done this or how could God allow that, right? These are understandable questions. But I think we have to realize that according to God's word, he did something remarkable. A good and sovereign God gave a will, gave volition to creatures that he made in his own image. So when God makes mankind in his own image, there's a risk there because we could know good and evil. We could choose good and evil. God only chooses good, but his creation has chosen evil. And that's not just those guys. There's a little bit of that in each one of us. Each one of us can point to things in our own lives and our own decisions and the things that we've said out of our own mouths that might have hurt people, might have lied to people, might have gossiped about people. So, so we still choose evil sometimes. So this world is broken and this world is full of suffering, not because a good God did something evil. That's impossible. But a good God chose to relate with creatures made in his image. And there was a risk there. And we, humankind, chose evil. But even in that evil, God's goodness is at work. He's a good God, so he will never fail us. He's a good God, so he sends his good son into this world to redeem this world, to take what is wrong and make it right, to take what's broken and make it whole. That's the business that our good God is in. So we can be thankful that God is good. We can also be thankful that his love endures forever. His love never, ever fails. His love endures. And I know this isn't always easy to feel. It doesn't always feel as though God's love endures. When our lives are hard, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, it's hard to feel God's goodness. It's hard to feel God's love enduring. We almost feel as though he's abandoned us, but he promises he never leaves us, never forsakes us, even when life is difficult. Sometimes when we make a mistake, we do something we know is wrong, it's hard to feel that God loves us when we know we've done something wrong. That's where we have to trust, we have to have faith in what he says. He says, my love endures forever. God's love will never leave us if life is going terribly. God's love never leaves us if we fail him. God, God's love never leaves us if we feel we're not doing enough for him. We might feel we're not doing enough for God, we're not paying enough attention to him, we're not volunteering enough or giving enough. If we feel inadequate, we might not feel as though his love endures forever. Again, that's when we have to trust. We have to trust what he says, his love endures forever. God is good, his love endures forever. And we can be grateful that his faithfulness continues through all generations. I love this promise in Psalm 100. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And that's one of the things I love about Thanksgiving in particular. Thanksgiving brings the generations together. I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of groups of people uh, around um, the church today and, and over the weekend. And they're just recounting the times that they've spent with family. Generations of family. That's why traveling over Thanksgiving is such a nightmare because everybody's trying to get together with their family, all generations, right? Even great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, kids. I mean, we want to get everybody together on Thanksgiving. Gratitude brings us together. And being thankful that God's faithfulness continues throughout the generations is something that can give us a lot of peace and comfort. I talked to a few uh, seniors in our uh, tradition service, and, and they were so grateful about this promise that God is faithful through all the generations because they see their kids or their grandkids and, and they may not be making all the right decisions or they may not have a strong faith and they're worried about him and I understand that. But this promise is true. God is not gonna abandon the next generations and I can tell you the next generations are not gonna abandon God. 
I know these kids. We're in the business of kids. Rancho Christian and massive children's and youth ministries. And, and there is something bubbling up in the young generations. We'll talk more about this in January. But something is bubbling up in the young generations that are very exciting because God's faithfulness continues through all generations. And then let's be faith, uh, grateful for the people in our lives. Not only grateful for God, but grateful for the people in our lives. It's simple stuff, but if we don't take the time to, to discipline ourselves and choose gratitude, we'll have this, this life of discontent sucking away at our souls. We have to choose gratitude, not just for God, but for the people in our lives. Philippians 1, 3 through 5 says this. Every time Paul says, I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners. The Apostle Paul, in almost every letter he writes, he wrote half the New Testament, he's thanking people specifically. And very often he calls out the name and the reason why he's so grateful. This is such an amazing discipline for us, to be grateful for the people around us, particularly for our families. Let's be grateful for our families, and this is difficult. It's difficult to be grateful towards people you spend a lot of time with. When relationships are new, it's all exciting and wonderful. You have a new boyfriend or girlfriend, that's amazing. You only see the good things and you discount the bad. Then you get married, it's all exciting. You see the good and not the bad. A couple years later, that is flipped. You spend all this time and you see mostly the bad and the good you don't even care about anymore. It's just human nature. The more time you spend with somebody, the more of the good you take for granted and the more the bad annoys you. That's just kind of normal human nature. That's why we're so busy around here with counseling and the Safe Harbor Counseling Center, right? And, and oftentimes what we have to do is, as, as we're sort of, you know, unpacking all of the resentments and bitterness, we're trying to get them to remember why they fell in love in the first place. Those things have been pushed back, and all the resentments have come to the top. Gratitude can pr prevent us from discounting the good things. Gratitude, grateful for our families is so important. I would encourage you two things on this. Thank God for your family every day. Whatever your prayer life is like, for some it's you know, big time, you know, half an hour, prayer closet, pray for your family by name. Others, you have a little time in the morning or a little time at night or, or what I call popcorn prayers. You're just kind of tossing up little prayers through the day. However you pray, take some time to be grateful for your family. Thank God for your family. Thank them individually. And, and tell God specifically why you're thankful for them. Be specific. The more specific you are, the more I think a heart of gratitude for your family will well up. I do believe that prayer is not about changing God or changing things. I believe prayer is about changing us. And when we pray for our family, our heart for our family will increase. And then thank your family for your family every day. Try to do it every day. We try to thank each other every day in our, in our household. And it's not like forced, okay, time to thank each other, but just trying to always thank each other for, for, for being who you are. I try to thank my wife every day and she does the same for me. I try to thank my kids a lot for who they are and what God is doing in their lives. And when you thank them, be specific. Thanks for being a great kid. I appreciate hanging out with you. You're so much fun to hang out with. You're a funny person. You're, I mean, whatever. Just pour out the details. The more details you can give to your family as to why you're thankful for them, the better they're gonna feel. And, and, and if they feel appreciated, I'm telling you the whole household of respect will rise if we verbalize how thankful we are for our, our spouses, our kids, our parents. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for your friends. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You have some wise friends. 
You probably have some fools as friends, but this isn't talking about that. Thank the wise friends. You have some friends that you live life with. You have some friends that you can share openly with. Make sure you thank them. Make sure you let them know how important they are to you. That gratitude will, will strengthen your friendship. And then finally, be grateful for our church. Be grateful for our church. The Apostle Paul, again, is very good at thanking these church communities that he had the privilege of working with. First Thessalonians 1, he says this, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. He calls them brothers and sisters for a reason. In the family of faith, we belong to each other like family. We belong to each other like brothers and sisters. Christ is our brother. God is our father. We are a family. Now, church life may not take up as much time as your family life for sure, your career life for sure, but this is critically important to gather together as brothers and sisters. And online is fantastic. We're very happy for online community. Hey, online community. But we're very happy to gather together as well because we can build friendships here. We can be in small groups. We can rally together to volunteer to serve each other. Uh, we can volunteer to serve our community. We have so many humanitarian projects that we get to do locally and globally when we're together as a family of faith, spending time together, getting to know each other, building Christ-centered friendships, and then doing something, as we say, to advance the cause of Christ. It is such an incredible pleasure. We can be grateful for our church. And I want to say how particularly grateful I am for, for this body of believers, Rancho Community Church. It's the only church I've ever, I've ever been to. I uh, started coming here as a junior hire, um, just lived down the road, and our first campus was up on Vallejo, and they just opened their doors on Tuesday nights for, for community kids. I'd, I'd walk or ride my bike to church, and we had a little bit of a dysfunctional house, and that was a place of refuge for me. This place became a place of refuge. There were adults there who cared about me. Several of them, as I mentioned last week, became mentors of mine, Some one mentor for 20 years who went to this church. Uh, I am so grateful for this place. I came to faith here. Then my mom came to faith here. My brother came to faith here. Then the, the laggard, my dad, came to faith here. And even though they really struggled through alcoholism because of this church and the friendship that was brought to my mom and dad, their marriage is saved and their marriage is thriving. They're right now enjoying an RV trip and I think Pismo. They're having a blast together. Why? This church saved their marriage. This church saved our family. We were all brought to faith because of Rancho Community Church. I met my wife here. My kids have been raised here. My kids spent uh, six days a week, their entire life here. They go to school here. And you would think a pastor's kid who is here on uh, Sunday and goes to school, preschool through high school, would hate the church and hate their dad. That's just the way it's supposed to go. They love this place. Why? Because of you all. And, and I am so immensely grateful to be a part of this church. I can't imagine doing anything else. And, and I hope that today you will have this, this deep sense that if we are grateful for God, for who he is, if we're grateful that he's good, that his love endures forever and his faithfulness is to all generations, and if we're grateful for the people in our lives, our family, our friends, our church, we can have peace and happiness in any circumstance. And I wish that for you and your family. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you not just for what you give us, not just for the, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the shelter over our head, for the provisions of our family, but we thank you for who you are. You are good in you, there is no darkness. Your love endures forever. No matter what we do or who we are, your love endures forever. And your faithfulness is, is for all generations. And so we trust 
that you are already at work in future generations to, to redeem this broken world. And, and God, as, as we study uh, Esther and as we've spent November uh, studying this incredible story, we know that they had this amazing feast of thanksgiving, even though life was still uh, suffering for them. They were saved, but they were still slaves. They were still oppressed. They didn't have a land. They didn't have their temple. They didn't have freedoms. They didn't have a capital city. They suffered, and yet they praised you. They thanked you for what they had. So I pray that we would thank you for uh, what you give us, thank you for who you are, but also to thank you for the people that you surround us with. Thank you for our family. No family is perfect. Some families are quite dysfunctional. But there's something about those relationships that we can thank you for. Thank you for the love that they've given us. Thank you for who they've made us to be. Thank you for our friends that surround us with wisdom. And thank you for our church. Thank you for Rancho Community Church and all the love that we pour into each other and the love that we pour out to a world that is broken and hurting. Uh, being a lead humanitarian um, group here in town and, and throughout the world, thank you that we are a generous church, a kind church, a learning community that is loving each other and loving the world around us. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said, amen.